Okay, listeners, you know what time it is. It's time to elevate your full-body grooming game with precision-engineered tools from Manscaped. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is not only waterproof, but it includes an LED light and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which is trademarked, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an undercarriage deodorant, and the Crop Reviver, a family jewel toning spray. Both super practical, and guess what? They smell good, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs, because who doesn't like a soft pouch for their marbles? The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology, while keeping your pride and joy supported. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. THEATHLETIC20, all one word, with a two and a zero. Always use the right tools for the job. Get Manscaped. Seven fifty five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to Seven Fifty Five is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic. I'm with Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever, the left-hander from Seattle, out in Seattle, still living in Seattle. What's up out there, man? Is the sky's orange out there, or is that in Portland? Or no, there's a lot of smoke. Yeah, man, you're not even supposed crazy. to go outside today. Crazy wildfires out there, dude. The West is burning. It's insane. I mean, you can't even, you can't really, it smells like it. You know, you, as soon as you walk outside, it smells like a yeah. bonfire and ash we, coming down and stuff. Yeah. We got, um, if you go out to our rail, we got white rails on our porch. If you go like wipe your finger on them, it'll just, you'll, you'll leave a line from all the like ash. Pollen here. Yeah. In March. That's insane. I mean, it, it, it's, but it's been happening every summer. Yeah. These are the worst. This is the worst uh, fire season they've ever had out there, man. I mean, the, the West is my sister lives in Colorado she has a, uh, they have a uh, house up in the mountains and it was middle of the day the other day. It was like dark. She sent me a picture. It's crazy. You couldn't even see the snow capped mountains in the 14,000 foot mountains. Yeah. It makes um, you, it makes you feel like tired and, and lethargic too. It's, I mean, you can tell it's unhealthy. Dude, this is like being totally overshadowed climate change during the midst of all this other stuff. But anyway, that's not what people came here to listen to. No. Not in a week, especially when the Braves did some crazy, crazy, historic stuff. This was the week that the Braves had seven homers in a 29-9 win. That, by the way, was the first MLB game to ever end with that score. The first ever. I mean, that was a total football score. Dolphins, Falcons. It was Miami, Miami, Atlanta. Then you had... In that game, Adam Duvall had his second three-homer game in a span of eight days because he also did it. That, that was Wednesday night, the Wednesday night game against the Marlins. The previous Wednesday was his three-homer game at Boston. So he became the first player in franchise history to do that, the first ever to have, the first ever to have two three-homer games. And I don't mean in an eight-day span. I mean to have two, two three-homer games in his career. As a Brave? Yes, and that's in a franchise that's had Hank Aaron, Chipper Jones, wow. Andrew Jones, Eddie Matthews, on and on. So, I mean, we've talked about – you and I have talked on and off, uh, we've talked off air about the, the juiced ball, and I talked to I talked to Jeff Francoeur about it too uh, yesterday, by the way. 
think we're all in agreement. Something's got to be done by next year. But hey, in a short season, if it's I mean, helping, keep the Homer Acuna hit yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you know, or, or the time he slammed his bat down. Yes, and, thought it, and was it went be out a to dead line. center. I mean, you see it down the line sometimes, but to dead center, it's I don't know what's going on, but it's it's hard to deny. That's what Frenchy said. That what we had talked about. So many of these balls that you think are going to come down, and they just keep going. You know, like the oppo home runs, so many opposite field home runs. The front foot opposite field home runs, we've seen a few of those. I've seen probably 20 home runs this year that just made me laugh. And I don't, I mean, you know, the only thing I don't, I, everybody's playing with the same ball, so it's fair. And I, I know people, you know, people like seeing homers, but I feel like it almost dilutes a lot of it. You know, like the, the appreciation I have for how good Acuna is. Yeah, it, yeah. It's hard to appreciate his swing when, yeah. When that ball gets out, you want to know if he did it or if the ball did it. And yeah. I mean, obviously he barreled it, but it was an inside fastball and his swing, it just, it did not look like a home run and it gets out in, in Washington into the bullpen where the ball, I mean, the ball used to not really be known to fly in Washington. Mm-hmm. I see these homers and they're just, they're kind of, they're insane. Some of the balls that are getting out. And I know and a lot of people love offense and they say, Hey, well, we welcome the homers. We don't want to go back. But I think whenever there's a, a good sized segment of the people are going, come on, I love offense. But not when you have to question which of these homers would be homers in a normal, uh, in a with a normal ball, you know. In, like the other day, D- Duvall had his second three homer game was at Truist Park, and I don't know that more than one of those would have been out at Turner Field. I mean, you know, it, with a normal ball. So, but anyway, no, and um, it also, you know, when you look back at history, like you think about a guy like like Brian McCann that lost probably a hundred yeah. career homers to right center. <laughs> In, and uh, at Turnerfield, yeah, and Chipper, Chipper Jones, Jones what, right what kind of numbers they put up with these balls? So it it makes it hard to even appreciate what you're seeing. Freddie yeah, Freddie at Turnerfield, he lost but, he lost fifty balls there probably. And how many uh, balls is Freddie hitting out opposite field this year? That you know they were still homers in the past. Like yeah. they just they just sneak out, and now they're twenty rows deep to left center. So anyway, uh, it was also the week, by the way. <laughs> On the other hand, on the other hand, when Jordan Yamamoto of the Marlins in that twenty nine nine game gave up eleven hits, thirteen runs, including twelve earned, <laughs> and threw ninety four pitches in two and two thirds innings of relief, there is what I mean. We've talked about guys wearing it, and sometimes you have to. But that Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly, brought I think a whole new definition to wearing it when he left that kid in there for that long. It jacked his ERA from 11-something to 18.26. And he's only got three weeks left in the season. <laughs> he needs 12 months. He needs another 12-month <laughs> season. to to, And he needs to deal for 12 months straight to try to have a normal ERA by the end of it. <laughs> you know, like when you give up a three or four spot as a reliever, you, you know that it's like, man, I got to go scoreless for a month to make yeah. up for that. Yeah. When you give up 13 and you've already had an 11 ERA, I mean, you're, you're so deep in. I mean, it, the season's a wash at this point. You just, you hope that the, you know, the team understands why those numbers are that way moving forward. But yeah, he'd have to throw like 80 scoreless to make up for this. Just think, uh, when, when, uh, in the future, when just a few years from now, say somebody's just glancing at his stats and baseball yeah. reference or whatever. And, that number is going to be just jump out. And then you're going to have to think, oh, that was the year that the, isn't that the short year, but you're going to have to think about it. And some people like 10 years from now, aren't even going to think about it. They're just going to look, that kid had us 18 ERA one year. 
I got that on my uh, I got that on the back of my baseball card. I got a twenty with Seattle one season. Yeah, when you were hurt. Yeah, and I was was kind of trying to pitch through it. I was actually I went from I went from the closer because JJ Putz got hurt and I was the next guy up. I went from from the closer to I blew a game and then you know had another rough one or two to being the wear it guy in a matter of like six days to getting sent down. And so that 20, you know, I never made it back that season. That that 20 is always on there. You know, it's never going to go away. Thankfully, you had some great years with the Braves, including that sub one year. So the 20 is kind of the aberration. And you, then you can look over and see you only made like yeah. however many appearances. Yeah, I mean, you can look but at I the But I remember looking at it. it. I, I remember coming it over. I walked into the clubhouse and they were just looking at me like, what do we need this guy for? <laughs> you know, not not the players, but the, I remember Josh Hall and Ben Acreet, the clubhouse guys. <laughs> <laughs> they they waited till you know the end of the season after I had a good year, but they told me they were like, dude, when you walked in and we were giving you baseball pants and stuff, I was like, why are we burning these pants on some dude with a twenty ERA from Seattle? You know, what do we need this guy for? They're like, can we wait and sew his name on the yeah. back of the jersey? Let's <laughs> yeah. make sure. Can, can we just give him just number ninety nine with no name on it? This guy's gonna be out of here in a week or two. So it looks bad, but you know it doesn't. It's not gonna. He, you know, mainly for him, he just has to be able to go out there and pitch one game at a time now. And when you roll into the game too with like an 18 ERA, you could just see the guys in the other dugout drooling, you know, waiting yeah. to get to hit off you. So, I mean, it's going to be a mental battle to pitch with that thing on his back, but he's got to keep it going, you know, finish strong, I guess. I mean, credit Find something to, him, to be positive dude, about. Credit to him. He didn't look at the dugout and go, uh, hello. <laughs> well, that's the other thing that happens when you're the wear it guy too, is, you know, you kind of, you have an understanding of it, but you don't know how bad you're going to wear it. You know, when you're, he probably looked down there when he was eight runs into this thing, yeah, thinking there'd be a reliever warming up and it's just dead silent down there. You're, you know, there's, there's no worse feeling than that. And, and a lot of times you, you know, as a reliever, you come into the games and you, it's kind of you can't pitch that bad because as soon as you start to struggle, there's another guy coming in to kind of bail you out. Yeah, and when you're the wear it guy, man, there's there's no help coming. So if you run into that game and you know you're the wear it guy and you're warming up and you don't have anything, it's a it's wow. a bad feeling because it, it you know it could get out of hand quick and yeah, it, you know it, it did for him. Hey, by the way, while I'm thinking about it, we got a special going on at the athletic right now. This is the time for anybody that has not jumped on board because this thing, you're not going to get it ever any cheaper than it is right now. A dollar a month discount right now for new subscribers. If you go to theathletic.com slash 755 is real, use that code. You can receive that subscription for a dollar a month. Sports are back. You don't want to miss any breaking stories and your favorite teams. So go there. Theathletic.com slash 755 is real. You get an access to uh, – it's an all-access subscription to all the written stuff that we have, this podcast, everything. So we hope to see you there. Anyway, um, let's get back to this week. And let's start – I'm going to start uh, not with the obvious one, Duvall. We'll get to, we'll get to the r- ridiculous year he, week he had. Ronald Acuna. People love to hear about Ronnie, R.A.J. A lot of people were bummed out when he was hurt for a while, wondering how his, what it was – you know, if his numbers going to be able to recover and all that. Never underestimate Ronald Acuna Jr. No. <laughs> because the phenom, the future MVP, is back. He hit a two-run homer in Thursday's comeback win at Washington, series opener. He had another comeback win for the Braves. They were down 5 nothing after two. He has six homers and 12 RBIs in eight September games. And he has – and this is as great a stat if you're a, an Acuna fan as anything. He has 
twice as many walks, 12, as he does strikeouts for the month. Dude's got 11 homers and 105 at-bats this year. 11 homers and 105. Think about that. Usually a typical season is about yeah. 600 to 700 at-bats. Or 600 I've been thinking at-bats. about that. Like a lot of guys that it's a shame, some of the guys that are on tears this year, that you're not going to get to see how those numbers would play out. A lot of guys on pace for over 40 homers, and he he would be he would be on pace. Jeez, I mean he's got a he's got a 440 OBP, 667 slugging, and an 1107 OPS. He doesn't have enough to qualify yet, or he'd be up there among the leaders in everything. Of the 14 players in the majors with more homers, only his teammate Adam Duvall, who's got 12 and 129 bats, he's the only one with more homers. That uh, uh, of the fourteen player who has fewer than one hundred and forty three at bats, and yeah, again, he's at six in two games, and Acuna's got eleven and one hundred and five. So, I mean, we've talked about him enough that uh, nothing he does surprises us. But man, to come back from and not have any, the benefit of any AAA games or any minor league rehab games, just play, you know, take batting practice and hit and hit and hit down at Gwinnett in a couple of games, and then he's back, you know. I mean, he was traveling with the team, so I don't even think he hit Gwinnett too. So he was with the team on that, you know, after he got hurt uh, the second time. But uh, for some guys, it's just like riding a bike. And, you know, when you look at his swing, if you watch clips of him taking batting practice, he has so much bat speed. Mm-hmm. He's just so talented. You know, it's it's almost like it's hard to fail. But I was thinking, you know, maybe – Maybe that wrist was bothering him a little bit to start the year, and and he didn't come forward with it. You know, yeah, it, it could have been something that was kind of nagging and bothering like him and going on, and and then he finally got that right. And it's a lesson you got to learn that you know, almost nobody can play in the big leagues when they're not a hundred percent. And he was doing all right, but he wasn't this guy. And and you just see what what a difference it makes to be a hundred percent healthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Braves. We, this is a freak team, man. Freak, and, and that I mean that in a good yeah. way, but a, but a freak way. <laughs> they they have. I'm convinced now they got the best offense in the majors now with yeah. Albie's back. And by the way, yeah. he homered in his first game back, three hits and a homer in his first game back. He comes back and they have that 29 nine game. I mean, so. But you add him, and I think it's the best offense in the league. And I'm I'm talking about even better than the Dodgers. This, when you're talking about depth, and especially those first four. First three is as good as, as, as any of the majors and probably better with Acuna. Now, Freddie up in the two hole, you know, <laughs> they've moved Freddie in the two hole, Ozuna batting third, and you got Duvall doing what he's doing. You got him batting fourth now. You got a guy like Marcakis down. He hit eighth last night. Uh, you got, you got, uh, Darno doing what he's doing among the best slugging catchers in the majors this year. Uh, I mean, there is so much depth in this lineup. It's crazy. But and everybody can hurt you. You know, yeah, it's it's not yeah, just damage. like good quality of bats. It's mm-hmm. at any point you can give up a homer. Yeah, they they can all do damage. There's not a spray. There's not a high average no power guy in that. I didn't even mention Dansby, who's having right. the year that we were all waiting for him to have, and he hasn't petered out. I mean, it's a you know we're six weeks into this thing, and he's having. At last night he hits does what Dansby does, which is come up big in the big late innings of big games. He hits the, the winning home run last night in the eighth, ninth inning, eighth inning. Uh, that he's done that throughout his career. Even when he's even when he's been struggling, he's still had big, big hits. Yeah, still does. Big plays defensively at the end of games, big hits. 
So, yeah, when you, I mean, you're talking about a lineup that is, uh, it's loaded, but this starting rotation, this, this might be, and John Smoltz said this on MLB Network, it might be <laughs> the best offense. He said it was the best Braves offense he's ever seen. Yeah. And I would agree. But I would also say it's the worst starting rotation the Braves have had in 30 years since the worst of first season in 90, 91. There, this is the worst. This is a bad rotation because it's just decimated by injuries. Yeah. And I don't know. I, you know, you keep wondering how long you can keep it up, you know, keep winning insane. games like this because it's insane there in first place with really only one spot locked down all year. Yeah. Uh, Soroka went down early, but then again, there's only 16 games left. And but right now, Freed's on the DL. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's decimated is the word. And yeah. Even a guy like Tommy Malone comes over and struggles. You know, yeah. he was doing great. Um, it, it seems unsustainable, but it's it's kind of hard to doubt the team at this point. The way they're they're swinging the bats and and the bullpen's good too. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention the bullpen, which I think is the deepest that the Braves have ever had. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's the best, but it's close. But it's the deepest. They've won. Yeah, I mean, that's the way they're going to have to do. They're going to have to beat teams, not 29 to 9, but they're going to have to beat teams 8 to 6. And we talked about that, and it's what they're doing. They've yeah. won 8 out of 12. Okay. They won one of those games when Tommy Malone gave up <laughs> eight earned runs in three and a third innings. That was the 29 9 game. They're outscoring opponents during this 8 of 12 stretch, 8 and 4 stretch. They're outscoring opponents 8.7 to 6.1 in that stretch. Is that sustainable? I don't know. Maybe maybe it is for just two more for weeks. For 16 more games. Uh, you know, I think that's also credit to Snit. Um, yeah. You know, how many teams do you see get down 5 nothing or or 6 nothing or 7-1 to one and fight and get back in that game? You know, it, it's yeah. so easy to throw in the towel. And this team, it, they do it every time. I mean, I'll see them down yeah. four or five runs early. And normally you see your team down like four or five runs in the fourth or fifth inning. And it's, it's pretty much a wrap, you know, they might score a couple and get back in it, but, but the guys just check out and you bring in some relievers. And that's, that's another thing about the depth of the bullpen is even the guys pitching in the four or five run uh, deficit are Mm -hmm. still able to keep it there and pitch pretty damn well. Uh, But you just, you normally those games, you could turn them off and you can never turn it. It doesn't matter what's going on. You can never turn a Braves game off if they're losing. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, where, where they, they, when they do check out, it is so rare that you're looking when they don't show any pulse and they don't start to score runs and start chipping away at an early league. Yeah. You're shocked. You're like, Oh, they're doing what like most teams do when they're down five, nothing in the second inning. They just go through the motions and get to the next day. I mean, the Braves are like five, nothing. That's nothing guys. Let's just hold it there. And we got this game won. That's the way they approach it. They feel that way. And it's hard to doubt it at this point. And, like I said, I think that's just credit to Snit. You know, I I see people want to make you know, they want to make some criticisms of maybe he makes a bullpen move that doesn't make sense once in a while, but there's so much more to managing than than the moves you make. And if you look at the way this team plays for him, uh, it's it it's just it's for me it's convincing that that his heart, like the guy he is, the leader he is, mm-hmm. is way more important than one or two moves he makes a week. No doubt. I think you said it the right way, which I try to express to people is like, those are, those are, he gets ripped so much for those, especially in the area of social media, because it's so easy to rip what, what looked like obvious head scratching moves, right? Yeah. Whereas you can't, as a fan sitting at home, break down what happens in the clubhouse because you have no access to it. And 
unless you hear guys like yourself talking about it or we have active players come on and talk about it, you don't really know. And a lot of times people will even have it in their heads that he's a bad manager. So they'll just dismiss it when, when one after another, a player will say it starts with snit. They'll, they'll just dismiss it. Yeah. But you can't just dismiss it because it is so much more important managing. The reason Bobby Cox was so revered as a manager and he's in the hall of fame is because of how he managed the clubhouse, not in, in game decisions that he made. Yeah. You know. That's well, the most important thing is managing a clubhouse and keeping guys going on the same page for seven months, man. How you treat and, your players, you know, right. it, like Yamamoto would be a great example. You go out and you give up 13 runs. You know, you got to walk by your manager in the hallway the next day mm-hmm. and he can do, he can do a couple things. You know, he can, he can avoid you, look at the ground. He can, he can give you a vibe that he's real disappointed in you. And then that just, that amplifies all the the failure you already you're already feeling, right? Or he can pick you up and he can come up to you and say, "Hey, yeah, th- forget about that one, man. That was yeah. just a shit day. Uh, I really appreciate you going out there and wearing it for the team and 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 kind of pick you up." But how the manager interacts with his players is it, it's really important for how he feels the next time he comes into a game. You know, if 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 Mattingly brings him into a close game the next time, and he's thinking, "Well, this guy's always disappointed in me," or Vice versa, he can be thinking, this dude believes in me. He's giving me another shot and wants to make him proud. Yeah. I mean, you always wanted to make Bobby Cox proud. That mm-hmm. was, that's what every player said. You know, they wanted to make him proud because they knew he had their back regardless. Um, and I think Snip, uh, he kind of pulls from that same playbook. Uh, but there's so much more to it. You know, how you, how you pump your players up, how you treat them. And he's just, I mean, he's an amazing guy, man. You never feel any stress around him. And I think it's tough too because, he hates interviews and stuff. You know, that was like my big question. Um, when he took over as manager, just knowing his personality, mm-hmm. uh, how he would handle being in the spotlight and the media side of it. Um, mm-hmm. I still I agree. To, yeah. And, and he does, but that's not his personality. Right. You know, I mean, right. he's, he's totally different off camera. He's, he's way more lively. He's way more fun. Yeah. And yeah. I, Absolutely. I respect that. I love it about him that he doesn't want to be in the spotlight and he, he's not managing to be on camera or to be, you know, to be the guy he's managing because he wants to win a world series. But I also think that hurts you in a sense of how you're perceived publicly. You can, can, your personality doesn't grow on people because he doesn't let that out in interviews as much, you know, sometimes he's overcome with raw emotion. And I think people appreciate that, but just how funny is and, and his, his humor and and his ability to lead and how much heart he has doesn't always pour out because you could tell he just kind of wants to get the interviews over with because it's it's not what he's here for. Yeah, they uh, he does it dutifully. You're right, but the it's thing a duty is, for him. If if people could see the entire interview, like when we interviewed him before game, when we were in the club uh, in the dugout, which we're not doing right now, we're doing him on Zoom. But even if you could watch the entire Zoom interview, you'd get a much better uh, feel for his personality because all you see is the snippets when he's talking about news. And he's really dry in those. And he does it like it's his duty. And he handles it. He never back. And he's always there and does it. But he doesn't do it smiling and laughing, which he does all the time. He jokes all all the time. But fans never see that. And when they see him mic'd up in the dugout, again, he does it. He never turns it down, says, yes, I'll do it because it's my part of my job. Yeah. But he really but he hates just, it. Yeah, he doesn't his, his personality. You're right though. His personality does not come through. Bobby's didn't come through either in interviews. No. People thought he was a real hard ass and everything because the way he came across on in interviews, but he was not when you talked to him. He was hilarious. Yeah. So, I, I used to I used to always walk by Snit in the back training room at Turner Field and he'd be riding one of those um those stupid recumbent bikes, you know, that probably burns like 8 calories an hour. <laughs> yeah. And he 
it was just his thing. He was going to write it 20 minutes a day, you know, something about his health he wanted to do, but he hated it. And he'd just be, he'd just be staring at the floor and a totally different person, right? I mean, he'd be staring at the floor. I'd walk into the room and I'd be like, what's up, Snit? You know, energetic. And he just kind of respond, you know, he just wanted to be left alone. He'd be like, yeah, just, um, just, I'm not here right now. And he just keeps staring at the floor. You know, it's almost like he just, he was just totally glazed over and just trying to get it over with. And the only other time I've seen him, you know, in that mode outside of riding that damn bike was, was when he's had to start doing interviews and talk about guys struggling and, right, and do right. that, like that duty part of his job. You know, I can tell he doesn't really enjoy it, but yeah, um, but you're right. He likes talking about guys when they're doing great. Oh, and- he loves it. But you have to ask him about guys that are sucking or had bad games and everything. Yeah. And it's like pull it. I mean, it's like he does not want to do it, but he does it. Because he knows how hard the game is. And, yeah, and it's he like knows, Bobby like that. Bobby hated yeah. talking about guys sucking. Hated it. Yeah. It's just a hard game. But, you know, he probably does those interviews in, in, in that mode. And then he pours himself a drink and goes and makes the whole yeah. clubhouse laugh whether they won or lost. And I think that, you know, his his mentality takes so much pressure off the players. And having that guy as your leader that that has an ability to to just – you know, shine light on any situation and, and a positive light on it. Uh, it. That's so much more important than a few moves you make. And those rare games where he's thrown out of a game, he goes and yeah. has that drink before we go in and talk to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. In a span of 11 days, Tommy Malone, the aforementioned Tommy Malone, had two starts in which he got 10 or more runs of support in one inning yeah. and got no decision in either game. <laughs> That's almost impossible to do. It is. I think, you know, I think just getting thrown off your game in baseball is it's something that gets overlooked too. But, you know, he was rolling. He was comfortable in Baltimore. There there yeah. wasn't a lot of pressure, I'm guessing. And no, he's I mean, always been a guy that can eat innings and pitch way better than this. You know, he's, he's never been a guy you can count on for a two ERA over a full season. He's, he's never been an ace, but he's always been able to get the job done. And, you know, you get off to a rough start and you want to fix that. You have another bad one. It kind of snowballs. Um, I think it's it's just a he just lost his comfort level. And I, I wouldn't expect him to keep pitching like this, but it's been a I didn't predict this either. He went on the 10-day IL after his Wednesday start. Uh, Snit said he didn't know anything about his elbow, but he came in. He told the trainer after the game that he had some tightness in his elbow, which might explain what he's – he might have came over in that first game, you know, overdid it, trying so hard to impress. You know you know better than I. And and maybe he had started had a little nagging thing, but you don't want to after your first or second game go, my elbow, it looks like you're making excuses. So you're going to yeah, keep pitching with it. Well, yeah, that that there's that aspect of it too. And then there's also the aspect of if you – give up like 20 runs and three starts and you come into the training with anything wrong and they can give yeah. you a breather. You know, yeah. it's like if you come in, if, if Max Fried comes in and he says, my elbow's a little tight right here, they're going to massage it for an hour. If, if you have yeah. a 12 ERA and your elbow's a little tight and they need a roster spot, it's, yeah. like, you know, let's get that looked at. You know, it's just a totally different response when, when you're struggling, but regardless, you know, it's, it's probably good for him just to get a break to reset. Yeah. So he's got a 14.90 ERA in, in the three games since he got traded to Atlanta from the, from Baltimore, where he had a sub four ERA. And, and for August, he was like around right at three and wasn't walking anybody over there, you know? So yeah, it's been different guys since he came over. Uh, yeah. When I thought, when it happened, I thought it was a good pickup that could so you know, just help kind of stabilize things. You don't, you don't need him to go, you know, yeah. seven shutout innings every you time. Just You're just hoping for five out of them, but yeah, it hasn't worked out so far. So Huascar Noah, you know, uh, 
came off the, uh, came back from Gwinnett to replace him and, and jumps into last night's game. And he was huge. He was the guy that last night, uh, Freddie Freeman and Dansby and Snit all pointed to the three, yeah. uh, point one innings that you know, gave, uh, gave them last night after Erlen got rocked early. You know, it was huge last night. Gave up one run in that three and a th- I think it was three and third and kind of, it was a perfect bridge to the, you know, the studs in the bullpen mentor and then the big guys after him. So he was the unsung. Away, like they always do. Yeah. All they need is a guy to hold him in check, the bullpen to hold the other team in check. And that offense, it seems like eight or nine times out of 10 is going to, if you just hold them within five runs, they're over the course of eight runs. They're going to get that back and more. Even, even when they don't. You know, it's, it's never, they don't score any, right? It seems right. like they're, it's all, and that's, that's the importance of having a bullpen that can keep it close, especially with this offense is even if you give up one or two, you know, you can get, you just can't, you can't have a guy go out and give up five or six. Mm-hmm. If you can just keep it close, it's, it, they're always back in the game. Uh, and that's, again, that's just the depth they have. It's, it's nice to be able to have a dude like that, that you can throw when you're already down that many runs when normally maybe, maybe he's a guy pitching in a closer game. How'd you like to have been part of this bullpen with this offense, man? I, yeah, I mean that'd be great. I mean, you had you were part of some really good teams, but uh, I would rather like just offense. have a really good rotation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, for your arm's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the offense is great, but I don't want to warm up every day. <laughs> uh, so the second of those Malone games where he had ten run inning of support was the historic 29-9 game that we mentioned on Wednesday against the Marlins. The Braves hit seven home runs in that game, including three from Adam Duvall, who's becoming one of the bigger stories in MLB this year. He was just on uh, MLB Network this morning, by the way, Tuesday or uh, Friday morning. Just Friday, yeah, Friday. He had uh, – because he had – that was the se- second Wednesday in a row that the dude had three homers. He had three the previous Wednesday in that game at Boston. When he did it back to back days with Ozuna and they became the first teammates in major league history to have back to back three homer games. I mean, this guy's doing stuff. He becomes the first brave in history to have three homer games, uh, to have multiple three homer games. The first in history. This is a franchise that's had Hank Aaron. I thought that and I, I saw the stat and I thought you were saying it was the first time. You know, it happened in the same season. I didn't yeah. realize it was ever. Ever. I know. I had to look it up. I had, I was like, really? How does Hank Aaron not have two, three homer games? But, you know, Hank also never had more than what, 44 homers in a, his number yeah, he's uh, just in consistent. a season. Yeah. Just day and day. But you would have thought Chipper might have had a couple, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or Eddie Matthews or Andrew when Andrew was on that ridiculous year, you know, 51 homer a year. But nobody. I mean, that's how hard it is. <laughs> So I think it was 24 Braves have had three homer games and none of them had two three homer games. I mean, I could see Ozuna or Acuna doing it again this year too, or even Freddie. Yeah, I definitely can see Acuna having multiple three homer games in his career if he's here, you know, 10, 15 years. Who was it? Josh Hamilton, I think, had a five homer game. Was it five? Really? Four or five. I'm not sure. Four, I think. Uh, Who knows, man? In In the juiced up years. But I could see Acuna doing something like that. Yeah. So the Braves' 29 runs Wednesday destroyed the previous franchise scoring record, which was 23 in a September 1957 game. That was nine years before the team moved to Atlanta. 
23. They scored 29. I mean, they almost had 25% more runs. God dang. <laughs> they, uh, that was, that was the craziest. I was watching it going, this is, it didn't even seem real. You know, it seemed like some kind of, uh, uh, exhibition game. Yeah. Like a pros versus Joe's type of thing where it's just people messing around. It, it's, it's hard to do that. I mean, even throwing the ball right down the middle, it's hard to do that. Yeah. You know, you're going to get pop-ups and stuff, but sometimes, man, it's just, it just happens. And, and, you know, this, I, that's another thing about the offense is I feel like they all feed off each other. Once somebody breaks the ice, they just, it, they just roll. And that was the ultimate example of it. Yeah. You were talking about Snit being such a big factor in their never say die attitude. I think the other huge factor is this is obviously the personnel they have. I think if you have a, a an a-hole manager, guys don't want to play for him. You know, they want their own numbers and all that. So they, they're obviously going to try hard, but I don't think you're going to have a team come back time at night after night for an a-hole manager. At the same token, I think if you had a couple of jerks, if you have a, a couple of asses that are the team leaders, right. I don't think you're going to have that chemistry either, but this team doesn't. It's team leaders are look at the team leaders on this team. Freddie Freeman, Nick Markakis, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, you know, I think Dansby's the leader too. Dansby, all yeah. of them in their own way are team yeah. leaders. You know, uh, uh, Acuna and Ozzy lead, you know, the younger guys, you know, uh, they're all team. They're, they got a lot of guys. None of them are a holes. No, it's a great mix. And, and I think it makes guys want to come back. For themselves and for each other in those games, they look at each other and the, and the vibe in the club, in the dugout is just still positive. They're still having fun, man. Yeah. And they've done it enough now where yeah. there's no panic. You know, if they're down five early, there's, they've already proven it to themselves. They can do it however many times. You know, if, if you're a team that when you get down, you lose repeatedly, you're going to start throwing in the towel every time you get down, but they've come back so many times this year. It's just, you know, it, it's nothing for them to be down five runs, which is insane. And in, it, it, when you think of traditional baseball, but yeah, Tyler and, Flowers, I didn't even mention him. And then in the in the bullpen, you got a bunch of good dudes out there. Yeah. I mean, guys like Melanson, uh, Martin, uh, Luke Jackson. These are all good dudes. You know, I mean, there's again, they don't have a bad apple in the mix. So they got you know, lucky with that, or lucky, or by design. But they've they've done a hell of a job putting together a team. I think it's by measures. design. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, it uh, is. They they uh, put character really high on the list when they're going to get somebody. They want to make sure they don't disrupt the chemistry. But, but man, that's you, the first the first question you ask when you're getting a new teammate. You know, if if say you get a you trade from somebody from the Reds, right? If yep. say you got Bauer, you're going to text anybody you know on that team and ask like, mm-hmm. you, no one's asking how nasty his curveball is or his fastball really spin the way they say it does. Right. When he's coming over, everybody wants to know know who you're dealing with. What kind of dudes coming in? You know, how's he going to be to be around? Um, I mean, I remember we had a teammate that we traded away. And when the new teammate walked into the clubhouse, he got a standing ovation because everybody was so sick of dealing with the other guy's shit. You know, the new teammate and, came in was Gonzalez, Alex yep. Gonzalez, right? Yeah. And I didn't mind the old teammate, but a lot of guys had problems with him and there's a lot of drama around him. And, and just get like getting getting somebody out of your clubhouse that you just whether they're selfish or just high maintenance or just misunderstood, which I think the guy was, you think he's just misunderstood uh, a different culture and stuff and, and think, different struggles. I, I know who but, you're talking about. Yeah. And it wasn't yep. Edgar Renteria who people loved. Nope. <laughs> but you know, so I, I found a way to get along with him. Cause I, 
it was my shortstop. I mean, I, I needed him laying out for me when, when there's a ball in the hole, things yeah. like that. And I actually grew to like him, but plenty of guys didn't. And yeah. everybody has different standards for people. But when there's somebody that you just have to deal with every single day on a daily basis, it just turns into kind of a buzzkill. And then if you imagine yeah. piling two or three or four more guys yeah. that you have to deal with, or if they click up, you know, if there's, if there's three or four guys yeah. that, that oh, yeah. are, you know, cause I think, Guy, people with shitty attitudes always they they like someone else to have yes. that same shitty attitude to team up with and and that stuff's contagious. But when your leaders are all positive guys and and mm-hmm. you try to have a shitty attitude and you realize it doesn't play and it doesn't fly, mm-hmm. you're going to be pretty pretty quick to get on board when you're outnumbered. You know, so I, I I think that you know leadership gets completely overlooked, vibe gets completely overlooked, chemistry. There's no number you can put on it, but. You can't tell me it's not chemistry when a team comes back from five runs no. repeatedly throughout a season. Yeah, you know you and, can't tell me it's not a factor there. And and I love the way you put it. How guys, bad guys, click like to click with other guy, bad guys, or, or just you know negative guys. I shouldn't say bad guys necessarily, but negative guys. Yeah, because we see it all the time, especially not as much this year when we only get Zoom. But in normal years where we have so much access to club, we see all that. You know, we don't yeah. see everything, but we see a lot in the. You could see it in the clubhouse with the way guys interact and the way the guys roll their eyes when they're talking about somebody or whatever. And the Braves had their previous G, one of the previous GMs, I'm not going to say who, had no ability to discern uh, team chemistry and bring in the right guys and make sure you didn't get rid of the right guys, you know? Right. He didn't, he couldn't tell the guys. He, he, this, I mean, we had a GM that didn't think Prada was a leader. Right. right. You know? Yeah. And then he would bring in a guy and it was a bad guy, but because he was affordable in a trade, they they thought okay he'll be be able to blend into this mix and not it's not going to be a bad guy but no it didn't and they had a couple of bad guys in the bullpen and they were always together and we get yeah. it as writers so when you have a couple of those guys and the aforementioned shortstop you're talking about it was a pain in the ass for us to deal with so I can only imagine what it's like for a teammate see being around him for hours every day you know. I mean, we, yeah, on a daily basis. I mean, it's just always lingering. You know, yeah. you, you wait for them to go back to their bullshit. And mm-hmm. it, that's just not the, that's not what you want to have. I mean, even for me, um, Seattle for me wasn't, wasn't the best setup. It was just real. Uh, there was just a hierarchy there, right? Mm-hmm. Where it, even if a dude was a nice dude, he just wasn't going to be associating with a rookie because he had time. So it was kind of clicky. And, and, you know, if you were a young guy, you were, you were talked down to and you were kind of made to feel like you didn't belong. And that was the way the game was, where I think veteran players realized that younger players, only difference between them was the comfort level that the veterans had in the big leagues. Right. And I think the game got rid of that because it right. wanted to go younger, right? I mean, right. long story short, yep. I didn't, I really didn't ever feel that comfortable in that clubhouse. I always felt like I was trying to stay there, right? I come over to Atlanta and I'm expecting the same thing. And all of a sudden, my first day, Bobby Cox lets me borrow his shower shoes. Bobby Cox, you know, and I'm this guy coming over with a 20 ERA. And then, um, you know, I'm pitching in my first or second game in spring training. I'm throwing to Brian McCann and he's talking to me like, like we're peers and we're on the same level. And I've seen him in the all-star games. So just that comfort level I had coming over and, and feeling accepted and like a part of things, you know, that made a big difference in, in my confidence. Every time I got called into a game, I wasn't the dipshit rookie coming in that might blow it. You know, I was this, I was their teammate that they were counting on. So mm-hmm. the perspective and the mental, the mental side of, uh, just your, your team chemistry and, and, and the people that are supporting you and working with you. I mean, it, it can make a incredible difference. And then when you look at the stats, the guy just came up and pitched well. 
you yeah. know, and it, it, there's no, there's no stat behind, you know, what was going on in his head or, or his comfort level and why he right. pitched so well. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like put a number on that. But for me, it's a huge thing. So the Braves are only the fourth team in 120 years since the modern era began. It's like 1900 is considered the modern era. Fourth team in 120 years to score 29 runs to score at least 29 runs. And the first since Texas beat Baltimore 30 to three. Which is the record thirty? The Braves were within a run of time. The record that was the game. Hamilton he hit four. Home, he went five for five with four ah, homers. Texas beat Baltimore thirty to three on August twenty second, two thousand seven. Coincidentally, Nick Markakis was on that Baltimore team, and you know who <laughs> managed that Texas team? Hmm. Thirty. The one thirty to three. No. The guy that waved in a whole lot of those runners Wednesday night for the Braves. Um, Ron Washington. He was the coach. And he, was the, known that. he was the manager of that Texas Rangers team. But Wash has that vibe too. Yeah. And you know who managed, get this, you know who managed that Baltimore team? They got their ass destroyed. Who? Dave Trimley. No way. Yes. The former Marlins, uh, former Braves uh, farm director. Trimley had been the interim manager with the Orioles, gets that title removed, kind of like when Snick came in as interim manager, got the title removed, became the full-time manager, and that night, I think it was, they got B30-3. to It's a tough start. <laughs> so, yeah, there are all kinds of breaks connections going on there. Yep, Wash, though, 30-3. The man, the, the, so he's been part of the of a 30-3 to game and a 29-9 game as manager Dang. and third base coach. So, Duvall, historic, jaw-dropping night Wednesday in that game. So, he has a seventh-inning grand slam to cap a night which he, in which he'd already had a two-run homer and a three-run homer. The guy only needed a solo homer to do the, the home run cycle. This home Has that ever been cycle. done? <laughs> I think he was the first ever to do it two, three, grand slam, to do three homers like that, go two, three, Dang. and four. Yeah. Nine RBIs tied a Braves franchise record. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, first in franchise history with multiple three-homer games. To make it even more pro- improbable that he did that, you know, in a franchise that's had Hank Aaron, Chipper Jones, Eddie Matthews, on and on, was the fact that he did it in a span of eight games. I mean, he bookended those three-homer games on consecutive Wednesdays it, during an eight-homer, eight-day surge. He had eight homers in eight days. Gave him 13 for the season, which tied Marcelo Zuna for third in the NL before yesterday. I think it still is. Duvall's got 13 homers in 125 at-bats. He had eight in a span of 31 plate appearances. <laughs> what if he didn't play this year? I know. If he had opted out. Uh, oh my you know, God. That was the logic a lot of guys had. And, and I think, you know, it probably applied to him. But there's a lot of guys' logic was, you know, if I don't play this year, you know, maybe I can't even get a job next year. Or, yeah. or maybe I'm looking for a minor league deal. You have a rough spring training. You don't make a team. Uh, him coming out and playing, I mean, this could, this could, the oh, confidence he could get from it, the, the, the opportunity it's going to create for him. I mean, he could, it could turn his whole career around just a two month season. Yeah. I mean, he's back doing when he had back-to-back 30 homer seasons for the Reds, but even better. What he's doing right now, he went from, like you said, if he hadn't played this year, he'd have got the service time, 
that's fine. But he would have been arbitration eligible. He would have had to sign with somebody next year, probably for a minor league deal with a million yep. dollar salary if he made a major league team. If he had not played, and this you year. have a rough, you have a rough spring training, then you yeah. get down to AAA and struggle a little bit down there. The dude that in front of you is hot. You know, that's how so, baseball is. So instead, the Braves are either going to uh, well, he's that's the great thing for the Braves is he's got two more seasons before he's a free agent. Yeah. So. Because he's he's got. But, like, I mean, he's going to get paid in arbitration now. Yes. I don't know how it's going to work, but I mean, it, it's going to. He's hook got three point one five one. He's one of those guys that's going to end up having an extra arbitration year. Yeah. Uh, so he's got two more years left, but yeah, he's going to get a, a nice bump this year in in arbitration for sure, coming off this. But and there won't be any question. A year ago, a lot of people were saying, "Is he going to get uh, tendered?" A lot of people thought he was going to get non-tendered. I never thought he did because I thought the Braves needed the outfield debt. But man, you talk about a wise move by Alex to not to to, to tender this guy. Yeah, they saw something. But you know, he's the perfect guy for me that you you try to sign to a cheaper deal. Yeah, at this yeah. point, because he and you could steal him because he's he knows the struggle. He's fallen on his face before, especially now you with uh, DH in the league. Yeah, coming but in the league with what he went through of of mm-hmm. just forgetting Absolutely. how to hit for a year. Um, once you go through that, you know, you, you understand fully that everything can fall apart in a hurry. And he might be a guy that'd be willing to take like a three year, some, some kind of three year extension or something like that. That's a lot lower than his market value would be, you know, if, not if he hit like this, but if he hit a little bit less than this, but was just kind of the guy he was in Cincinnati. I mean, you could, you could steal him. Yeah. You could buy it a year of arbitration or even do like yeah. four years. And then you could work your young outfielders, your studs coming up. You could work them around him and he could be. He could be either starter for next year and then transition to either into a DH or platoon yep. outfield job. I mean, there's this is a very useful piece for sure. And, I mean, and if he hits like this, he can kill you in arbitration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially. So, I mean, the they DH can kind of taper the arbitration numbers and, and tempt him with an, a year or two guaranteed after that and uh-huh. really tone it, tone down the price. And he's playing a great outfield defensively, yeah. but he'd be a nice guy to have for that DH job if you wanted to, you know, use your your other young guys in the outfield too. Yeah, so. and it, you can always plug him in when you need to. Um, so speaking of that outfield, uh, I think this might be the end for Ender Enciarte, dude. Uh, you know, barring injuries between now and the postseason, I asked Snit yesterday because in the last couple of games here in Atlanta during the homestand this week. Uh, Marcakis was not in the lineup. And I asked Snit, are you just going to do kind of a gut feel or uh, matchups and kind of platoon this thing the rest of the way? And he said, nope. I just wanted to give Nick a couple of days because Nick was slumping after that really hitting like crazy his first couple of weeks back. Yeah. But Nick was slumping, so he gave him a couple of rest days. He said, but pretty much the rest of the way, you're going to see those three guys in there, Marcakis in right, Acuna in center, and Duvall and left. And that's the way they're going. So Ender and Ciarte, he had a chance, man. And, you know, we kind of worried because he's, su- he's such a slow starter, but would he do that this year? And he did. And there's just not, they can't wait for him to get going. He's hitting 206 with a 554 OPS. Hasn't played very good defense this year. Missed a lot of fly balls that he normally catches. He had two the other day in one game that he normally gets at the wall. And he's got a minus six, minus 0.6 B war. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's not like, you know, this team's relying on defense right now to win games. If yeah. you had, if, if every game was a one nothing right. game, two right. nothing game, if the style of baseball they're playing right now, 
I mean, that making that one catch in left center is not, it's not a game changer at this point. And you've got him but, still on the roster for now. So you can bring him in late in. When need you need to. to yeah. 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 But he's, but like yeah, I but said, you, he's not even you gotta have great that, defense. You got to have a bat there. The, the way this team's playing, you know, like you yeah. can't have a guy that's killing rallies because they've needed him bad and they've gotten him. And the, and those three guys have all been hitting. I mean, Nick yeah. was on a roll for a while. Yeah. And then obviously Duvall and Acuna, you're not taking them out of the lineup. Duvall, yeah. the, the plan was, you know, coming into the season, he was going to platoon with Nick and left or and right, and you were going to start Ozuna and left. And then the DH came into the whole fray with the uh, yeah the pandemic, so it changed everything. But then Nick opted out <laughs> and then came back. So remember when this team – had uh, briefly came to an agreement with Puig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? You don't need Puig for offense right now. <laughs> no, I can't imagine having him. That'd be <laughs> another crazy bat to have. But uh, yeah, I mean, with Ender, you know, he's it's tough. You know, I'm sure he's frustrated, but he's got nobody to blame but himself because yeah. I feel like every year they're trying to get him going. Yeah. And He's got eight million coming next year. Last year of his deal, nine million dollar option for the year after that, with like a buyout of about a million, I think. So it's basically a nine million. I would expect they're going to trade him this off season. Won't get much for him, but pick up some salary. Maybe they'll have to pick up you know a little bit of it to move him. We'll see, but I, I can't imagine them bringing him back for that last year. They just don't need him now, especially with the guys they got coming up. Pache's the center fielder of the future. Yeah, I'm sure he's feeling that pressure too. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you know, when you're getting at bats and pitching innings that they mean they're, you're, you're playing for your career at that point. Uh, it's, that's a lot of pressure. You know, you kind of go through a phase where you come up and it's, it's fun, you know, and you're, you're, you're proving yourself and, and you could get sent back down. But once you get that comfort level of a long term deal and then you go back to playing to survive and trying to stay in the league, it's, it's a whole different animal. Hurlin Robbie Erlin is not Hurlin, at least not Hurlin very well right now. He's uh they got him from the Pirates earlier. He came over and he another guy just hasn't done what they'd hoped he'd do. He's the lefties 0-3. Uh he was 0-3 with a 13-2-2 ERA in six career games, three starts against the Nationals before Thursday when he gave up three runs and four hits in the first inning. Of course the Brace came back from it. <laughs> Um, so that's another guy that did, they just haven't been able, they haven't hit on any of these guys are bringing in during season this year, which they've done well in the past, but not this year, uh, the mid season guys and didn't make that move that we thought they needed to make for the rotation at the deadline, but we'll see so far. It hasn't killed them. Um, I think they would have made that move if, if freed was hurt too. Yeah. If they'd known freed was, yeah. If he was going to be hurt, they'd known that. (laughs) And obviously, if they'd known Malone was not going to be the answer, it would have added some urgency to go out and make that big move and give up prospects to bring in. You know, the price was just so high, obviously. Yeah. On Lance, Lynn, and, and, you know, and Bundy didn't get moved either. So that says a lot because there were a lot of teams that needed starters. And the only guy that was moved was Clevenger. The price was high for him, too, obviously. Yeah. I, <laughs> It's just when you look at it, it's it's insane to be in first place right now. I know, yeah, up by three after three games. Yeah. So the Braves made a series of roster moves on Thursday. They outrighted Charlie Culberson. Hate to see that, but you know, again, they just that changed with the DH this year. Charlie's whole role 
just changed. They don't need double switches. They don't have guys. Yeah. That, I mean, that was Charlotte's thing. He came in double switches and laid it late in games a lot, did some pinch hitting. They, they hardly use any pinch hitters this year with the DH. And they got a couple of guys. You know, they had Lance, or they had Matt Adams for a while, and they just haven't had a real need for Charlie. And they got Echevarria to, you know, play to fill in for uh, Echevarria and Camargo filled in for uh, Ozzy when he was out. Now Camargo's been sent down too because he was really struggling. But yeah, Char- and for you know for Charlie, he had that knack for getting those big hits. But yeah. it's 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 hard to justify pinch hitting Charlie for mm-hmm. Darno or somebody yeah. late in the game, yeah. right? Yeah, you know it's it's it was it's easy to justify pinch hitting him for the pitcher. Yeah, exactly. and then he gets the opportunity and he does something, but the opportunities just weren't there for him. Well, the good thing is he cleared waivers, which I yeah. thought he would do in this season. Cleared waivers, so he goes to Gwinnett, and he lives in the suburbs, and so it's not a big deal for him to go back and forth to Gwinnett, same as you know going over to Truist Park. So, and we'll probably see him again before this thing's over, you know. Yeah. So Tommy Malone goes on the ten day IL with uh, elbow inflammation, and Noah came up, and so it's been they keep moving the pieces around in this. Uh, Man, MLB knew what they were doing with this 60-player pool thing and yeah. the alternate sites because that's working for teams. And who knows where they'd be without that in a season where there's no minor league games. They would have been killed uh, without having that. Yeah, it's that. hard to keep track of the new – like the, when all these moves are made and this guy could be coming back and that guy's down there, it's it's hard to keep track of it all with, with the new – yeah. way they're doing it but i mean it's been huge for especially for this team the braves have got they're, they're basically playing inter-squad games down there every night they're doing them at night you know for the same so the guys are in the yeah, same yeah. rhythm they'll be in when they get called up and all that and fulty has put on about 10 15 pounds from what i'm told stowing 94 won't be surprising if we see him and uh, but the big thing is hamels he finally uh, faced hitters or hitter Ozzy Albies before they brought Ozzy off the DL, the IL, and Hamels looked really good. You said that, and then he I threw. Saw it. A, I thought he looked great. He threw again last night. I have not heard the report on that, but it looks like now, barring any setbacks, he's going to be activated for the Baltimore series next week. Especially now with uh, Freed out, I can't see any reason they're not going to do that. And Freed should be back at the end of that series. Or the or Friday, so either Wednesday at Baltimore or fr- next Friday at uh, the New York Mets. So the rotation could all of a sudden get better, a lot better with Freed coming back and with Hamels. So with, Hamels could ease a lot of nerves. Yeah, you might see a lot fewer <laughs> of these second, third inning exits. Yeah, down five nothing. I mean, if he can just if he can be something like he's been in the past, and and you get a guy like that. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, you got to build him up too by the yeah. time you get to the playoffs, but. I, you know, for me watching it, I don't, I don't worry about this team making the playoffs. You just worry about what's going to happen when they get there. Right. But they did. I mean, they've beat up on guys like Garrett Cole too. It's not like this offense just is one of those offenses that beats up on the fifth starter. They've had they a can knack. Hit anybody. They've had a knack for doing that for the last three years, man. Yeah. Against really they rise good to the occasion. They've had some big games against Degrom. They've had some big yeah. ones against Scherzer and Strasburg. Yeah. So they don't back down. Um, wrap it up with. Baseball's quiet superstar. I've waited to talk much about Freddie Freeman because Freddie right now, and it's appropriate because Freddie for years and years and years always seems to get overshadowed by somebody because Freddie, and I asked Dansby about that, and I asked uh, Tomlin about that, and they both said it's because he's so consistently great. Yeah. 
that it doesn't ever strike you as, whoa, he's doing it because he keeps doing it day in, day out. So you take it for granted. But it seemed appropriate that his 1,499th career hit was a two-out single that put the Braves ahead in that 29-9 game, put them up 3-2 at a second inning, and it also opened the floodgates. Yeah, Darno had a three-run homer that inning. Adam Duvall had a two-run homer that inning. Ozzy Albies had a solo shot in that first game back in that inning from his first game back after a five-week IL stand. So it was an 11-run, 14-batter, 42-minute inning. And Freddie Sick gets completely overshadowed. So they had seven runs off uh, Pablo Lopez in that inning. He got or he got five outs in that game before they brought in Yamamoto to, take, to, to wear it. But the same game, Freddie comes back, gets his 1,500th hit on a big home run in that game. Uh, he's got 1,500 career hits now, 1,500 and some. He got a couple more. This guy, he had two homers and four RBIs Thursday night in that 7-6 comeback win at Washington when the Braves were down 5 nothing. He's got a pair of two-run homers. He had a pair of two-run homers, give him five homers, 20 RBIs in the past seven games, including four homers and 12 ribbies in four games against the Nationals during that stretch. He now leads the National League with a seven with a one a one thousand and seventy four yep. OPS. Cunha doesn't qualify yet; doesn't have enough plate appearances. Freddie leads the OP, leads the league in OPS ahead of uh, Tatis, and leads the majors with forty two ribbies in for forty four games. I mean, it's, the guy just he just keeps doing it. And he doesn't get. It's funny because he just never gets talked about in that MVP conversation enough. Yeah. He's right or in the middle of, of fame, it now. He's you know, be. all those things. I don't know. I think he struggles from not having the flair too, as far as like national recognition and stuff goes. You know, if if, if you think about like who was a better basketball player, Tim Duncan or Vince Carter? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody knows Vince Carter and, and people don't really appreciate how great Tim Duncan was because he's just making bank shots. And, Tim and that's Duncan. That's a perfect comp for Freddie in basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Hitting a, a double into the left center gap isn't glorious. Yep. Right, but yep. if he hit if he hit five hundred foot homers or he had some stupid haircut and and you know just had way more mannerisms and all this stuff going on, some he needs a neck tap for sure. Yeah, you know, it, it, that's that's kind of what the difference with Freddie is is he just doesn't have that flair that strikes that stands out at people where they see his highlights. Mm-hmm. You know, even his even his his go ahead home runs a, a just he, he just a good swing to left center field. Yeah. put the team on top and he doesn't show that crazy emotion going around the bases. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't think he, he gets the recognition he, he could if he acted different, but I also appreciate that about him that he just, he's just a team player that just wants to win games. And he's also friendly Freddie at first base. He's like the mayor in Cincinnati yeah. used to be. Remember? Yeah. He's just like, him. yeah, everybody's a bad boy. Team. He needs a bad boy in him. <laughs> there is no bad boy in him. <laughs> no. He's family man. He's got twins on the way. They'll have he and his yeah. wife are the nicest people in the world. They'll have three little kids. His dad's the nicest dad in the world. I mean, yep. they're just, you know, he lost his mother to to melanoma at an early age and he honors her every year. I mean, this is like the, this guy is like a Hallmark card, man. Yeah. But he's a beast in the batter's box. <laughs> yeah. And when you play the team, you know, that, that's the difference is when you play the Braves, you know, you're going up against Freddie Freeman. Yep. You know, I mean, he's two hole last few days, but he's in that three hole mm-hmm. and yeah, your whole year. game plan as a pitcher revolves around trying not to have people on base when he comes up 
because, and the best thing about him is, you know, he could take you deep. He could do damage that way. But even if he, if you face him with a runner on second and two outs or a runner on third and one out, he's getting the run in. And it's, it's a consistently just tough ass at bat. You know, the balls he fouls off. Mm-hmm. It's not like he ever, he never goes up there in a huge situation and just punches out on three pitches. It's yeah. it's always a battle. I mean, maybe occasionally it happens to everybody, but it's always a battle with him. It's always a tough at bat, and you know what you're getting yourself into a battle. And and you know you better pack a lunch every time you go to, to pitch against him because he's, he's just that damn good. I mean, if you're a general manager or a t- or an owner of a team, this is the guy you do the blueprint of. And, and yeah, I mean, sure, uh, there are guys that are going to sell more tickets, maybe. But this is the guy you want as your franchise cornerstone, the guy you never have to worry about, the guy you know is going to welcome everybody to your team, who's going to be an ambassador for your team, who's going to be the first guy or the second guy in some years that anybody thinks about when they think of your team. So they immediately think, oh, it's a classy organization. They got Freddie Freeman, the guy out front. I mean, it's, uh, you know, his, his, uh, and, and you know what? His contract's coming up after next year. And does anybody have any doubts that he's going to sign long term, even though he could go somewhere else and get, I'm sure, more money? You know, there'll be teams that'll no, line up to get. No, he's going to wear this it. uniform his whole career. There, there's like you almost, you know, I mean, he could go back and play for the Angels in his in Southern California, where he's from, in Orange County, at like five minutes from his house on the beach. But you almost, you know, he's not going to do it. He's going to stay here. He's a brave well, through and through. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, a lot of times when, when a long-term player doesn't sign back, you could blame the team or the player. Uh-huh. But I don't think you could – you'd have a tough time convincing anybody, you know, Freddie oh, was the bad guy absolutely. if the Braves don't sign him back. He, he's just one of those guys that you you almost know he's he he will take less to keep wearing this uniform. And I think the team knows that too. Yeah. That's the thing. Is he'll Which take, makes it tough. That's what makes negotiations tough. It'll take a little less. You know he will because that – I mean, that's just Freddie because he doesn't right. want to handcuff the team. He doesn't want to uh, kneecap the team. He wants to have a winning team. So he'll take a little less. But at the same time, if the Braves were to come in and make him a lowball offer that made it almost impossible, you know. In other words, if yeah. they were to offer three years at, yeah, yeah. at $20 million okay. a year and the, Angels, and the Angels yeah. who Pujols is going to be leaving there, they're going to have money coming up. And the Angels were to make him a five-year, $150 million offer. You know what? The Braves would look so terrible. They'd look bad. And they know yeah. that. And they know yeah. that. They're not going to screw him. They're not going to lowball the guy. They better not because there's people will be in up in arms. I mean, the, people have been angry about some guy, a lot of guys that they've traded away, but it's ended up, you know, they haven't really had egg on their face too much for any of them. Yeah. Freddie would be a different thing. Different altogether. Yeah. I mean, he's in that, for me, he's in that chipper category yeah. now where it's, it's just, you got to make this happen. Um, but I, I think about it too, you know, look around. Is there another first baseman in the league you'd rather have? No, not a first baseman. No. And with the DH in the league, there's no yeah. reason he can't play till he's 40. I, but the thing about him is the way he moves, his flexibility, everything he does, how, yeah. how low, you know, low, low stress his swing is. He's not a dude that's hacking. Yep. It's a compact, easy swing. Uh, and the defense he plays at first base, I could see him, you know, like Nelson, the way Nelson Cruz is still putting up yeah. numbers at 40. He's he's not your typical guy that you're waiting to fall off. You know, like I, if he was taking Javier Baez swings, you really would question how those are going to play when he's 33. I mean, 35. anything could happen. Anything could happen, obviously. Right. But I, I'm with you, though, because this is the rare guy that 
with his size and the way he like he showed it again this year when he's out for weeks on end and comes back in and just rakes right away. Riding a bike for him. This is a guy that I could easily see playing for 10 more years. He's played 11 yeah. years. I could see him playing to 40. Imagine yeah. the 20-year career numbers this guy could put up. I mean, I think he's a Hall, he's going to be a Hall of Famer regardless. Just has a three more good years, I think he's in the Hall of Fame. But imagine the numbers he could put up. He could play for 20 years for one team like Chipper did when in an era when nobody's going to do that anymore. Uh, you're, you're, he you could do be, it. He could. His swing's so simple, man. With I mean, the DH, he could do it. And I think he can play first base for another five, six years at least. Well, that's the best thing about the DH if it comes to is it, it wouldn't be a situation where he had to go somewhere else right. to rack up three more years. You right. Know, you, you can keep him You keep him in Atlanta. Yeah. Fred McGriff played first base till the end of his career, you know. Yeah. Chipper played third till the end of his career. Yeah, he and did, and he was still good over there, too. On hobbled knees. Just, he was just running on glass, and he could still bear handballs. Yeah. You know, but I think uh, – and the other thing I, I wanted to mention was what – I think it's terrible what war does, how it how it uh, totally diminishes defensive value of first baseman. We've yeah. had this discussion before. But it's going to make it almost impossible, I think, for a first baseman to win MVP in a year, in any year where a guy like Tatis has a huge year or, a, or an outfielder has a huge year. It's going to make our catcher has a huge year because right. if you look at it, the, the war values does not jibe. I mean, like last year, you know, the Mets get a rookie of the year at first base, but that's totally different. People don't line up homers. the war as much for rookie of the year voting as they do. So many people I know vote for MVP and they line up the war totals. And Freddie's war doesn't, doesn't equate with like Tatis is that because he plays first base and it should. It's if you play that position well as a pitcher, explain to people how important it is to have a first baseman over there can do it. All you got to look at is that play he made the other day on the chop, the infield chopper mm-hmm. and he got the force at home. Yep. How many first basemen make that play? Yep. I don't think any. I think he's the only guy with the with the athletic ability and arm strength because he got him by a step. Yeah. And he jumped up, came came down, set his feet barely, and just flicked a strike. It was probably 90 miles an hour to the plate. I mean, he's got a great arm. Um, mm-hmm. it, but it, it's all kinds of stuff, man. You know, and that double play they turned the other day when he came off, yep. when he extended to right field on yep. that, that incredible double play they turned. But how does it? I don't know how that affects your war. But it it, does, it's a game changing. It could be a game changing play. It's a flaw in war that first base, yeah. for whatever reason, is so undervalued. They act like you can put any big stiff over there to play first base, and you can't. It'll 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 get it'll bite you in the ass one or two times a game. It seems like if you have a terrible first baseman. Well, picking balls too. Yeah, you know, so there's many so many throws. plays. Well, if you used to watch like Andrelton or even Dansby now. Mm-hmm. They they can try stuff because of the confidence that they have in Freddie. Mm-hmm. They can try a throw, and they just know they have to get it in the vicinity mm-hmm. where they might not. If if you can't pick the ball, they might not even throw it over there. You know, if a guy's struggling to to pick balls, and and you want to flick a ball that you know is going to short hop him, yeah. But you just have to get rid of it to to have a chance at the runner. Yeah. Um, that confidence they have to just get it anywhere close to Freddie, and he's going to pick it. Uh, that's not showing up in war. Yeah. When the, when the shortstop just holds on to the ball because this first baseman can't pick anything, um, it, stuff like that, man. I mean, that's why I don't totally go into war. But if you ask anybody that's played with Freddie, they'll tell you that he's the best defensive first baseman they've had. Mm-hmm. We should get that. Uh, uh, we get that guy back on. Yeah, here. and talk about first base specifically. But it's a, why. it's like that butterfly effect of things too. You know, like if he makes a diving play. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that gets a team out of an inning or something Sign versus your starting pitcher having to throw 15 more pitches that mm-hmm. inning. Yeah. And the starting pitcher gets yanked in the fifth now because the, the pitch count's high. Well, Freddie saved that pitch count. So you get an extra inning out of him. And if you have a rough bullpen or guys struggling, you can wind up blowing that game up in the sixth. And it, it, there's no way they ever track that stat back to the play Freddie yeah. made in the third inning. And not, and not to mention he's 6'4 with long arms and legs and he extend, he reaches up for so many balls, high throws yeah. too. Yeah. And to the, to both sides. Um, yeah, they're not getting that, the kind of picks that he gets. The Mets are not getting those picks on those throws to first base. No, and you know, me being a dumbass lefty, I would forget to, I'd forget to cover first base a lot. Yeah. And Freddie knew that about me. Uh huh. So he, he would pick a ball in the hole and he would just get up and be on a dead sprint to does first base. He does that so many times a game. Or, or all the time. Game, but he does it a lot. Those All the time. He, and gets I doubt there's a stat for that. You know, it, yeah. f- remembering when your pitcher's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no stat for that. It would just go off as uh, a ground ball to first base and the pitcher forgot to cover. It's just a base hit. Yeah. But he's taking hits away knowing his, his players too. So little stuff like that, man. I just, I don't. I don't know that there's any way to compute it. Yeah, because he can run. Freddie can run. People he's think fast. he's slow. He's fast. And he gets that <laughs> ball 30, 40 feet from first base. And a lot of times you would see, like you said, you would see a first baseman. If the pitcher wasn't covered, the first baseman would kind of be – the cameras would catch him kind of going, what are you doing? And Freddie instead – They'd shrug at him, and they're yeah. disappointed, and they, they pawn it off on the on the pitcher. And the inning comes unraveled. And Freddie instead yep. is never hesitates and is running over there, sometimes even – Every time. Yeah. Diving sometimes. But, yeah, he – he he just beats the the guy to first base. It seems like that at play happens ten times a year with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the stuff like that. I don't know. If there's any way to measure it. So, I think he's been one of the most consistent, productive hitters in the National League for a decade now. Yeah, his name never rarely comes up though. If you if you ask five people, if you ask somebody to name five biggest stars in the National League, somebody in Chicago or somebody on the West Coast or somebody in you know New York, maybe in New York because of uh, he plays there a lot, but Hardly any of them would name Freddie Freeman if they named five guys in the NL. And he's definitely one of the best five hitters in the NL. But I think he's one it's, of the best five hitters in the majors. Me too. It's the same thing with Mike Trout. You know, Mike Trout could be known worldwide if if he was had a different personality. Yeah, but at least everybody, most people in baseball everybody knows the best him, player. But, but you're right, I was, though. I was talking to guys about it yesterday, and they were asking me what team Mike Trout played for. <laughs> guys that weren't really baseball fans, you know? Yeah, and average, I'm saying, yeah, like, average sports fans, not big baseball they, fans. They like baseball. Their kids play it and stuff. I said, dude, this might be one of the best baseball players ever. You don't even know what team he plays for. And, to, you know, for Freddie, to a lesser extent, it's the same thing, that he just doesn't have the mannerisms and the, the he doesn't do enough he needs to start bat flipping and, and doing some things if he cared about it, but he doesn't. But that's kind of the difference is, you know, your personality is a big factor in being a superstar. But I think that stuff weighs into MVP conversations too. Yeah, so I think I said 1.047 for Zopias earlier because that was he moved into the lead entering Thursday ahead of Tatis. Well, he raised that last night to 1.084 for Zopias, yep. right? Second in the yep. majors to Nelson Cruz. Yep. Who's what, 40? Yeah. 1.117. And he's one spot ahead of Mike Trout, 1.057. So, um, ask Snit about him. You know, Snit loves talking about Freddie. Snit said he just. And he's, he's leading the league in RBIs. Leading the majors now. Yeah. Leading the league, leading the majors. 42. He's, uh, Snit said he just continues to set the bar higher and higher for himself and he never disappoints. He just quietly puts together at bat after at bat after at bat and never changes. The approach is the same regardless of the situation. 
and there's never too big a moment. You just love seeing him up there. All those guys are having unbelievable years for what, for what we're going through. He's talking about Freddie. Uh, before, before Thursday, Freddie was second in the NL and doubles, second in OBP, second in walks, fifth in batting average. And he raised his batting average to 333 last night with the two hits against the Nationals. Asked Tomlin about him. Tomlin loves talking about him. Tomlin said he's probably the most underrated baseball player I've ever seen. Tomlin's an 11 year veteran, played all those years for Cleveland, a World Series team. He said, and I don't mean that from a standpoint, he's not good. He's that good. And he said, he's done it and he doesn't get talked about like that. He's one of the best superstars in this game, in my opinion. The way he goes about his business, he's not a big strikeout guy. He's a contact hitter. He's an old school guy with a new school mix to him. He doesn't care about the attention, doesn't look for the attention or seek the attention. He just goes and plays baseball, does what he can, knows what he has to do or can do that day to help try to win us a ball game. And that, to me, is the ultimate baseball player. Yeah, he doesn't get talked about nearly as much as he probably should, but he's one of the best ball players I've ever seen play, hands down. Both sides of the baseball, base running, he's sneaky fast. Tomlin, he smiled and he said, but yeah, he doesn't get talked about nearly enough, in my opinion. I could talk about Freddie all day. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. <laughs> yeah, well, he's just he's one of those guys that, you know, when you feel like somebody's not appreciated – and you've watched it. It you really want to hammer home what what you saw and what what yeah. how gifted and talented he is. And it, yeah, I mean, even on this team, we don't talk about him that much because you just take it for granted that that's just what Freddie does. Yeah. But you're watching. You're, I mean, you're watching a Hall of Famer. He's a blue collar superstar, man. Yep. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. It's got, uh, there's nothing short of uh, shortage of topics to talk about with this team. I mean, no, <laughs> you want to tune, you know what? They are the most entertaining team in the league too. I mean, Padres yeah. right there too, but the Braves, you never can turn this, the thing off if they're down five, nothing because of what we talked about and you don't ever know. I mean, who's going to hit three home runs tonight? Acuna's due to have his, to have a three yeah, homer game he's now. Probably next. Yeah. So. We'll be back on Tuesday to talk about it again, see what they do uh, this weekend with the Nationals, and then they go off to Baltimore. They're on, a, they're on the last road trip of the year, believe it or not. They're already at the last crazy. road trip. It's crazy. And in first place, see if they can hang in there with the starting rotation they have. 755 is real. We're out. Till next time. <laughs>